Good morning, WFR. Good morning. Good morning. There's about six of you that, that are here this morning. I said, good morning, WFR. If you're a visitor, we're so glad you're with us this morning. Uh, if you're watching online, thank you very much for tuning in. For those of you that are part of our regular Forever family, God bless you. As always, it is an honor uh, for me to get the opportunity to stand before you and open up God's Word. I believe the words of life are contained herein. And there are words in here that are also words of blessing. And as, as uh, your preaching team, as a member of your preaching team, and studying some of how God's blessing comes about in our lives, um, we've been studying a lot about finance and tithing. And we, we spoke last week about how really tithing is a matter of your heart's condition. And, and Mike did an excellent job of, of illustrating how the condition of your heart is the most important component in how you approach the tithe. This morning, I intend to break open God's Word and share with you where I am at personally in my uh, uh, practice of the tithe. And so this morning, I'm going to talk pragmatically. We're going to get to the practice and the principle of the tithe. So we're going to break it down nuts and bolts and talk about what it is, how much is it, uh, what part of your finance is it, and then I'm going to talk to you some about the theology, the, the theological concepts that compel me to have the views that I hold on the tithe. So if you're reading in the New Testament, you're going to come across verses like this. These are not on screen. This is just to aid in our discussion of giving, of tithing. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, the Bible says this. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, as he said, it's more blessed to give than what? Than to receive. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Ephesians 4, uh, verse 28, the Bible says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. In my studies this week, I ran across a story of these two guys who were traveling by boat to a foreign destination, and a tempestuous storm overtook their vessel, broke the mainsail, shattered the hull, the boat sank, these guys grabbed a piece of wood, they floated to an island, one guy is frantic, he's, he's stricken with an inordinate amount of fear and anxiety, he's scouring the whole entire island, searching for resources, a place to uh, get out of the sun's rays. Wondering why this has happened. So concerned, he actually starts to cry. The other guy sets up kind of like almost a little cabana in a way. He kind of molds the sand so that he can sit comfortably upon it. He gets some big leaves of some palm trees and kind of makes a shade over this area that he's dug out to sit in. He just kind of sits down and just sort of relaxes. He's watching the waves come in. He's just totally at peace. This other frantic guy runs up to him, he's like, sir, do you not understand? Nobody has any idea. We lost 
radio communication in the storm. Nobody has any idea where we're at. I've scoured this whole island to try and see if there are any natural resources we could cultivate for our sustenance. There's nothing here. I'm certain we're going to die. The guy who's just kind of basking in the sun, relaxing, says, Sir, sir, I'm not worried at all. I make $100,000 a week. And the, and the other guy who's really anxious is like, what in the world does that have anything to do with our situation right here on this island? And the guy's like, friend, you don't understand. I'm a tither. I faithfully tithe on that $100,000 every single week. My preacher is going to find me. <laughs> So if you will put to use, this is the application, I'm getting it out at the front. If you will put to use what I'm saying today, if you're on a deserted island, have no fear. Either myself or Mike Kellett, we will find you, okay? Well, I've entitled this, this uh, message, God Blessed Your First. I'm going to talk about three things. Remember, I'm going to try to speak practically, exactly how do you practice the tithe, what is it, and I'm going to speak uh, principally, what's the theology behind the tithe? This sermon's entitled, God Blessed Your First. going to talk about the first 10%, first fruits and the firstborn. So open your Bible with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 28, verse 22. Uh, just a quick little bit of the background here. This is a statement made by Jacob. He has a dream. Uh, the dream is, is the dream where Led Zeppelin gets the idea for Stairway to Heaven, Okay. Uh, Jacob has this dream that there's a stairway going to heaven. Angels are descending up and down the stairway. He wakes up. He says, surely this is holy ground and the Lord is in this place. And in Genesis 28, 22, the Bible records Jacob is saying this. And this stone that I have set up in a place named Bethel, if you read the text, as a pillar will be God's house and all that you, talking to God there, Give me, I will give you a tenth. Of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. I'm going to move on to the book of Deuteronomy, the 14th chapter, the 22nd verse. It's on the screen here for you this morning. The Bible says this, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. A couple of things here that bear in mind to bear in mind, as, as we mentioned this, remember this is where I'm at in the tithe. I, I read the principle of giving in the New Testament. And I want to be as much of a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ as possible. So I'm searching the scriptures, I'm studying guys. Robert Morris wrote a book called Blessed Life. I've drawn heavily from his material. I'm trying to figure out what is it exactly that I need to be doing if I'm going to be giving God's way. Now, there's a counter-argument that says, Trent, tithing and giving, that's all about the law, and we're not under the law. Genesis 28 is at least a 1,000 years before the law was given. So when Jacob says, I'm going to give a tenth of all that I have from this land, that predates any of the law we've been given. Actually, some theologians say that they can find accurate representation of, of tithing in the Garden of Eden. And they say, Trent, when God creates the garden, he tells Adam and Eve, all of this is yours. You can have all that's in the garden, except there's one piece of this that is set apart. You can't have it. It's mine. If you eat it, you will surely die. 
And so that is a representation of how God gives us some, but there is a peace that is set apart from him. So I see this as separate and apart from the law, predating the law. I see it as a 10% in terms of quantity. Now, what exactly does tithe mean? If you're to look up the word tithe in Scripture, tithe means tenth. Tithe means tenth. Any dictionary you turn, anytime you find that in Scripture, tithe is translated in our language. What we mean when we say it is tenth. Now, if you got a, a Bible app on your phone and you can search for a word in the Bible app and you search for the word ten, what you're going to find is that in Scripture, ten, the number ten, represents tests. The number 10 represents tests. I'm going to prove that to you this morning. I want you to say, after I ask the question, what number corresponds to the question I'm asking. How many plagues did God send on the Egyptians before he led his children out of the land of promise? Okay, good. I'm try if I was a professor, I would that would have been like most of my pop quizzes in college. My professors are ready for me to get out and they give me the hand signals. Okay? How many commandments were given to the Israelites? Okay, just that's the theme, so just keep letting that flow. How many virgins tested in Matthew 25? Even if you don't know, you do know. Okay? How many days was Daniel tested in J Daniel chapter 1? by not eating the diet of the king and instead eating the vegetables and the things that were consecrated. How many days of Daniel's testing? How many disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? That was just a test. That was just a test. Just testing it. So the tenth is a test. When you get that paycheck, there is an amount that I believe that God intends to bless. And I believe it's 10% based on what I've read to you here. This predates the law. We see multiple representations of it in Scripture. And I believe God is, is, is giving us our finances and there's an opportunity we have to show our obedience to Him and how we handle that. So I want you to keep turning in your Bible to Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. This is the last book in the Old Testament before the book of Matthew. So if you don't know Minor Prophets, turn to Matthew. Flip back a few pages, you get Malachi. I've got it up here on the screen for you. I'm going to read, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Let me pause right there. there uh, Malachi references prophets in Malachi chapter 2. And there are some who would say, Trent, this particular passage is in reference to those prophets Malachi is addressing in Malachi chapter 2. I would disagree. In verse 6, Malachi says directly, Word from the Lord, I the Lord do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, there's the subject of this admonishment, are not destroyed. We are now also included in those descendants under the new covenant. You, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how do we return? This is God speaking now. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? God says, in tithes and offerings. Verse 9, God says this, you are under a curse, your whole nation. Again, the subject is the whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, how much? The whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Listen to this. 
test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I talked to you about the specific quantity. I think it's 10% that corresponds with the tithe. Now let's talk some other things that involve the specifics of the tithe. What does God say here? You have stolen from me, bring it back. Those are possessive words. Who possesses an item if it was stolen? The person that it was stolen from. So what God's saying is, Israel... You have stolen something from me that was mine to begin with. I gave it to you. Think about this. Think, what if you were walking down my street and your car had stalled and I'm out in the, in the driveway and you see my nice mongoose paver bike I got at Walmart with a flat tire right now. But man, there was a time where that baby was pristine and I tore up the roads. You saw that and, you're, and you say, Trent... My car broke down. I can see you're not in need of using your bicycle right now. Do you mind if I use that? I'm going to ride home, ride to the gas station, come back, take care of some business. I'm like, hey, no, what if Josh Hudnall did that to me? He's walking down my street. He said, Trent, can I borrow your bike? Sure, Josh, take the bike. Okay, two days later, Josh comes by my house. He says, Trent, Cherry and I have been praying, and I got this bike in the back of my truck, brother, and God has told me, that that bike is a bike I should give to you. And I'm thinking to myself, Josh, that's my bike. And this is akin to Josh saying, Trent, I know, brother, but just receive it as a blessing from the Lord. <laughs> Josh, you're not, you're not giving me anything. That isn't your bike to begin with. It's mine. I loaned it to you, and now you've given it back to me. That's the tithe principle mentioned here in Malachi chapter 3. God says, you nation of Israel, you church family, have stolen something that is rightfully mine. That's why God doesn't say, give me the tithe. He says, bring it to the storehouse. Because you can't give something to God that was already his to begin with. Now, my preaching is a lot better right now than your amen it. If you don't bring the amen level up, I'm not bringing the preaching level up any, okay? All right, that's what I'm talking about. As we are bringing back to God what is rightfully his, what does he say will happen? If you've stolen from God, you're going to be, according to Malachi 3, cursed. If you've stolen from God, you're going to be cursed. If you bring God back what is rightfully his, what does he say? You're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. So the purpose of, of this series, we want you as, as a church family to be blessed by God in every way. I want your marriage to be blessed. I want your kids to be blessed because of how you parent. I want your spiritual growth and development, man, to be blessed. I want your ministry to be blessed. I want your finances to be blessed. Now, as I'm saying this, I don't want to give you the idea that it's quid pro quo. That's that's Latin. Somebody should just say amen because your minister today translated Latin. All right, that's just good preaching right there. Quid pro quo is something for something. I give God a dollar, and Trent says, I'm fixing to be blessed right back. This is not legalism, church family. 
Mike just told you it's about the condition of your heart. You bring the tithe to the storehouse so you're not under a curse and you can be blessed. And God will bless how he sees fit. He is sovereign, he is providential, and he is God. And so we are going to accept whatever blessing he gives. And I'm telling you, he is going to give it. And it's going to be more than any storehouse can contain. What is God, where does God say to bring the tithe? My storehouse. That's what he says. Bring the tithe to my storehouse. Let me read you Exodus 23, 19. The Bible says this. The first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Every time tithing or offering is referenced in Scripture, it says bring it to the storehouse, bring it to the house of the Lord, bring it to the dwelling place of God. And there are some of us out here, and I've been in this camp, where I want to delegate where my tithe goes. I got 10% set aside. I'm giving 5% to this radio ministry. I'm giving 3% to this overseas missionary. I'm giving 1% to the school, to the private school. I'm giving the rest to the local church. You're robbing from God if you're doing that. You are stealing from God. God says, bring the whole tithe, where? To the storehouse. And, okay, Trent, so are you saying stop, stop supporting those ministries? No way. If God's placed it upon your heart to support the ministries, you need to do it, church. But that's over and above what your commitment to bringing your tithe to the local storehouse of the Lord is. What happens with us is God does place it on our heart to bless that radio ministry or to bless that school or to bless that missionary. And so rather than going above and beyond, we factor those things into the tithe that's rightfully God's. If you're delegating it, if you're in charge of it, then what you're saying is it's mine, I own it. And church, that is how you get your finances under a curse. Don't shout me down up here. You'll ruin my message with all that amening. Here's another cool part of this Malachi chapter 3. God says, test me. I'm one of these, uh, 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 I don't know if I'd say manipulative, but I sure am wanting to work a system in my favor. Okay, I once was really lost and dead in my sin. I know there were none of you like that. Okay, and some of you are like, yeah, Trent, I never was really as bad you know, as you were. Really, I was lost and dead in my sin. That old mindset says, all right, now this is God saying, test me in this. There's something to be gained here. If God, church family, tells you to test him, I implore you. I beg you. It's one reason why we're so passionate about this series. Put God to the test. Put him to the test. My kids walked in the 8 o'clock service, and as they're coming down the aisle, man, they just brighten my life. My whole experience of the service shifts when I got my babies right there where I can just hug on them and love on them and smell their hair and their just flawless baby skin. Everything about it I just love. God loves you. Listen to me, sir. Listen to me, ma'am. God loves you more than that. And he wants to bless you more than you want to bless the person you love the most in the world. And he's asking you. He's saying, please, test me in this. I love you more than you can even imagine. Test me in this. Let me shower down upon you blessing that no storehouse can even contain. You've got to keep that in mind as you are preparing your tithe and you are seeking God's face and you are asking him to revolutionize 2015 for you in terms of at least how you approach the tithe. So for me, that's the pragmatics. It's, it's 10% for me in Genesis 28 and in Deuteronomy 14. 
It's not something I give. It's something I bring. I bring it locally because I want it to be blessed. It's rightfully God's. I don't want it to be cursed. And I make sure that I'm doing it in accordance with my faith. So let's talk a little bit about some of the theology behind tithing. Some of you are thinking, man, he's talking tithing. Now he's going theology behind tithing. He's about to catch you a five-minute nap here. Hang with me because this is so huge. All right, let's talk about first fruits. That's first 10%, first fruits. Turn with me into Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. I'm going to read you the story of Cain and Abel. Listen to this. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So even if you're not going to go all the way back to the garden, you're seeing precedent for an offering right here in Genesis 4. And Abel also brought an offering. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. For a long time I've wondered, what is it that God saw in Cain that he disliked? And for a long time I've answered that question probably like many of you. It was the attitude or the spirit with which he gave. Something to do with that. Let me ask you a question. What fruit did Cain bring in terms of the order of having harvested the fruit? In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits. It's unclear. Now, what birth order animal did Abel bring to the Lord? And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. God requires our first fruits as we tithe. He wants our first and our best. And this is where faith comes in. God favors your first. So people have asked, what, 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 what percentage of my income, what, what actual dollar do I give? You give the first one that you intended on spending. That's the first. The first one you were going to spend. Okay. Let me give you another example. Turn with me in, in your Bible to Joshua chapter 6 verse 17. The Bible says this, the city, okay, so here's the context. Joshua and the Israelites for 40 years have been wandering around in the wilderness. Joshua and Caleb go across. Rahab, a lady uh, who's a harlot, helps them out. So, so they're able now to cross the Jordan River, go into the land of promise, and they come to a city called Jericho, the most fortified city in the land. Walls impenetrable, too high to shoot over. There's no way Joshua, Caleb, and the Israelites can defeat this army. God says, I got your back, man. You're my guys. I promise this to you. And if God makes a promise, it comes to pass, period. So, here, so that's the context. Joshua 6, 17. I'm wondering, what are they supposed to do with the, with the plunder from the city that they conquest uh, from Jericho? The city... And all that are in it is to be devoted to the Lord. Everything in Jericho is supposed to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared. Because she hid the spies we sent. That would be Joshua and Caleb. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. Listen to this, verse 19. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Why does God want the city of Jericho set apart and totally devoted to him? 
because it was the first city. The first city the Israelites come to, God's saying, I am going to deliver you this city in a way beyond what you can even imagine. Your wildest imaginations could not conceptualize how I am going to give this city into your hands. But everything from within the city is mine. I want it set apart for me. These are my devoted things. If you take of them, you'll be under a curse. Sounds like Malachi. So what happens if you flip a page and go to Joshua chapter 7? The Bible says this in verse 21. There's a man named Achan. Catch this. When I saw the plunder... When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, two shekels, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. This verse is one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture to me because it so succinctly, so shortly, and so clearly demonstrates one man's descent into sin and temptation. Remember what he did? I saw the robe and the shekels of silver. I saw, I coveted, I wanted them, and I took them, and they're hidden. When God gives you your paycheck on the 15th of every month, or on the first, or on the last month, last pay period of the month, whenever you're getting paid, you're at this place where Achan is at. What you have in your hand, whose is it? Is it yours or is it God's? That's a question. That is God's. But we see the amount, we see all the things that we want, and we start to covet after them. And so we take a little bit of that money that maybe we should have set aside for God, and we hide it, and we spend it on something for us, acting as though it is ours. And God said, you, if, you, if you're under the sound of my voice, if you're doing that, your finances are under a curse. That's what I read right here in Genesis 28, Deuteronomy 14, the story of Joshua and in Malachi 3, you are under a curse if you are stealing what is rightfully God's. And I think it's our financial situation probably in the United States of America and certainly in families as a whole that distracts our focus from God and makes us a slave to the almighty dollar. When I'm spending more than I got and there's more month left over at the end of the money than there is money, at the end of the month, and I haven't set aside anything for God, I'm emotionally exhausted, I'm anxious, I'm fearful, I'm tired, and I'm taken out of my ability to be on mission and be a light in a dark world because I'm not focused on God. I'm focused on what's in my wallet. Look how thin that is. See what I'm... Do as I do, not as I say or something like that. So many of us assume that God's going to rain down financial blessings upon us when every single week or every other week we are stealing and robbing him and he has told us clearly if we take what is his, we're under a curse. And so people will say, well, you know, uh, d what, what does that really then mean? A, a friend of mine, a friend of mine, because I'm really big on this principle of first fruits, the first dollar you spend should go to God. I'm not legalistic about this, but somebody was like, man, you know, out of my gross, technically, uh, the first that comes out is what I send to the IRS. So do I, do I go ahead and then, and then pay on the gross, or do I pay on the net? And I, and I said, brother, you know, the IRS does not have the power to bless your finances. 
Can I get an amen on that? Some of you guys are like, well, Trent, wait, I'm so gifted at accounting. I work some of my magic, and then they just send the checks rolling in. If that's you, I want you to teach a class on personal finance because I apparently got a lot to learn. I don't want the part I send to the IRS to be under the curse, amen? So I'm trying to make sure to, uh, to, first fruit, tack, to send to God the first of what I'm going to spend as best I can. This isn't a legalism thing. What is it? It's a matter of the heart. Okay, God knows your heart. He knows what you're trying to do. Another, another guy, another minister talking about this says, you know, I realized one day that the first check I sent was an allowance check to my son who was in college. And when I started to learn the principle of the tithe and the importance of first fruits and giving God my first as represented in the story of Cain and Abel, I realized that my son does not have the power to bless my finances. And I thought, man, that's just so where I'm at right now with three kids under age seven. It's, it, there's all, a lot going out to the kids. There's not a lot of blessing returned from them. I'm moving on. Now's the principle of the firstborn. Don't get caught up in that I saw, I coveted, I took. They are hidden phenomenon that Achan did. He was stoned to death. You talk about being under a curse. Okay, so we talked about first 10%. We talked about first fruits. Now I'm going to wrap this up and as a preacher. I just want to tell you where I am headed with this. I'm so excited because this is a principle that is very near and dear to the heart of God. Turn with me to Exodus chapter, it says chapter 13 on the screen. I, chapter 3, I sh, it should say chapter 13. I'm going to read you a couple of verses here. Exodus 13 verse 1. The Bible says this, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. So here's what happened just proceeding before I read verse 8. Keep that up on the screen. Exodus chapter 12 is actually the exodus from Egypt. That's when God's people are delivered from captivity in Egypt, and they're headed toward the land of promise. This is the promise the Israelites have been hanging on for over 400 years in captivity, that God's going to bless Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that they're going to have a nation, and that they'll be blessed, and that, that God's people through them will outnumber the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. They've been waiting for this to come to pass. God leads them out, and then God says, consecrate to me every firstborn male. Why would God say that to the Israelites? Well, think about the last plague that God sent on the Egyptian nation. It was the Passover. An angel of death passed over Egypt. And every firstborn creature, not just the firstborn human beings, every firstborn creature died as that angel passed through the camp, except in those homes where the blood of a spotless lamb was painted over the doorposts of those particular houses. God warned the nation of Israel. He led them out, and the Israelites owed God a debt. They had a liability they owed to God. And in our lives as Christian men and women in the United States of America, we are so affluent and we're so big on grace that I think we lose sight of the reality that we owe God. And I'm not ashamed to say that God delivered me from the pit of death itself, and I owe. I owe him. You owe him everything. And so he tells the Israelites, hey, this is, this is something you're going to do for me because of the deliverance I gave to you. So every firstborn had to be redeemed. In, in, in Exodus, in verse 8, chapter 13, verse 8, 
God says, on that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. There's my justification for the debt being owed that they're paying by consecrating and redeeming the firstborn. There was a time when you were dead in trespasses and sins, and God delivered you from that. And my son, you know, now think about this during the, the Israelite kingdom. These guys were ranchers. They, they had sheep, and, and that was a, a main source of sustenance and well-being for the, these guys. And I can imagine maybe at the point of eight years old, a son looking at his dad and saying, Dad, this is something you've done my whole life, and I've just kind of taken it for granted. But now, now, I'm understanding the principles of economics here a little bit, and you keep killing the first born of all the lambs that we have and, it, and, it, and you sir and you ma'am if you're not if you're not taking God up on tithing and giving you're missing an opportunity to minister to your children I want my son and my daughter on my lap during t- two really important pieces of the service first when I'm singing I'm trying to hold them up to my mouth so every every note I sing they can hear why because when they're adults, I want them to sing praises to God the Father. And I never want to have to tell them to do it. I just want them to hear that their daddy always was singing praise to God the Father. The other thing I want them to see me doing is putting that check in the plate. Because one day I'm hoping that my son asks me, Dad, you know, to a, to a kid, a tithe check should look pretty big, you know. If it's more than five bucks to my son, it's like a gajillion dollars. Oh, you buy five packs of gum, or if it's those 25-cent packs, you buy 20 packs of gum. I want him to look at that, and I want him to say, Dad, why, why are you doing this? And I want, to, I want to tell him, Son, I do this because of what God's done for me. I'm happy to do it. You're missing an opportunity to evangelize your kids if you're not letting them see. Man, let them see you doing it. Here's something else I want to say before we get to the next verse of Scripture. This, this in Exodus was an institution. God demanded it. If you were doing a yearly Bible study, you'd read this in Exodus 13. You'd go through Leviticus, and it'd be a fight because Leviticus is tough. But then you get to the book of Numbers. And in the third chapter of the book of Numbers, God substitutes this requirement of, of a firstborn consecration for the, the offering of the Levitical priesthood. Stay with me. I promise this is going to bless you. In Numbers chapter 3, God accepts a substitute. Instead of requiring redemption for all firstborn Israelite children, God accepted the Levites as a substitute, and they became the redemptive portion for Israel. Numbers chapter 3, starting in verse 11. Listen to this, church. The Lord said to Moses, I have taken the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the first male offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine, for all the firstborn are mine. When I struck down the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether human or animal. They are to be mine. I am the Lord. That's Numbers chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. If you'd skip forward and start reading Numbers 3, verse 39, the Bible says this, The total number of Levites at the Lord's command counted by Moses and Aaron according to their clans, including every male a month old or more, was 22,000. So God said, Moses and Aaron, I want you to count the Levites and tell me how many men older than a month are there. They count them, there's 22,000. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, count all the firstborn Israelite males who are a month old or more and make a list of their names. Take the Levites for me in place of all the firstborn of the Israelites and the livestock of the Levites in place of all the firstborn livestock of the Israelites. I am the Lord. Verse 42. So Moses counted all the firstborn Israelites as the Lord commanded him, and the total number of firstborn males a month old or more listed by name was 22,273. There's more children in the Israelite kingdom that are firstborns than there are Levites. So what does the Lord do in verse 44? The Lord said to Moses, Take the Levites in place of all the firstborn of Israel and the livestock and to redeem the 273 firstborn Israelites who exceed the number of Levites, collect five shekels for each one. There's a dollar amount here. Five shekels for each one according to the sanctuary shekel which weighs 20 geras. Give the money for the redemption. Man, I just love that word. For the redemption of the additional Israelites to Aaron and his son. This is the scriptural precedent we have for the principle of redemptive substitution. This is the principle represented in scripture for redemptive substitution. God is saying, I have an economy. And I delivered you from Egypt and now all your firstborn are mine. But I'm going to substitute the Levite clan, the tribe, for the firstborn of the nation of Israel. They're now mine. The firstborn are yours. I've redeemed them by substitute. I've redeemed your firstborn by substituting for them the Levites. Let me tell you something, church. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of God the Father. Put that next scripture up. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 18, 15. The Bible says, the Son... Thank you, Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. God's saying to you, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You owe me. You owe something to be redeemed, and you can't pay it, so I'm sending you my best. I'm giving you the best I got. I'm giving you the thing that means the most to me in the universe. I'm giving you my precious Son, Better than any spotless lamb, a lamb without any blemish to redeem you. I want to tell you, church, this morning that I think and others think Jesus was God's tithe. Man, if that doesn't light your fire, you're, wood, you're asleep. I said Jesus Christ is your redeemer. He is like God's tithe given to you so that you could be redeemed. That's huge. That's a big deal. Thank you, God. You read 1 Peter now, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it makes so much sense. For you know, this is the words of Peter, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, listen to this, man, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. He's talking about Numbers chapter 3. It isn't the, it isn't the shekels of silver that had to redeem that extra 273. What does he say? But with the precious Blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 2 Corinthians 5.21, church. God made Jesus Christ to be sin for us. He who knew no sin. So that you and me who are trapped in that empty way of life could be made the righteousness of God in him. You want to talk about the tithe to God? You're really talking about Jesus Christ, I think.
I want you to go from this place and I want you to be encouraged knowing that God gave his best for you. And I also want that to be a challenge to you to really give your best to God in all areas. This series is bigger than the tithe, but the, but the tithe is a big piece. One author said, money is the number one competitor for the hearts of men and women in westernized culture in competition with God. I want you to win. I want you to win big, and I want you to do it by giving your best, just like God gave you his very best through his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. If you got a need in your life, we want to pray with you. I'm going to, I'm going to conclude in prayer, and while they sing the verse of a song, if there's anything we can do to just encourage or love on you, we want to take the opportunity to do that. If you've never been baptized into Christ, take this opportunity today after I pray and while they sing. Let's pray. God, just we thank you so much for our Redeemer, who is Jesus. Thank you, God, so much for sending your very best, the most magnificent, uh, sacrifice that you could give to redeem us and your son Jesus Christ God it gets so easy to get trapped up in the materialism or the junk in our culture and then get trapped by it and end up having to serve money instead of you and I just pray through this series you would deliver men and women from that bondage and I ask God that your blessings would rain bountifully down on your people here this morning I pray that if anyone has a need or needs to be baptized, that they would take this opportunity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.